Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you are involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to take a look at food supplies and the distribution system and the threats that are facing those two systems. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Mr. Philip Limbery is chief executive of a leading international farm animal welfare organization called Compassion in World Farming, as well as being a visiting professor at the University of Winchester. He was appointed an ambassadorial champion for the United Nations Food Systems Summit in 2021. His most recent book is 60 Harvest Left, How to Reach a Nature-Friendly Future. Mr. Philip Limberick, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you, Bill. It's a real pleasure to be joining you. I appreciate you being with me. Let's talk just for a moment or two about Compassion in World Farming. What exactly is that? What is its main mission? So Compassion in World Farming is a, an international farm, animal welfare, environmental organization. Its mission is to reduce animal suffering uh, and create a better food system by moving away from industrial animal agriculture, factory farming, uh, which is not only the biggest cause of animal cruelty on the planet, but also is a major driver of declines in wildlife and nature, as well as integral to the to, to, to the climate emergency that we're now facing. Mm -hmm. And if our viewers would like more information on this very interesting organization, they can go to www.ciwf.org and learn much more about the topics we'll be discussing today. Now, in your book, 60 Harvests Left, you were talking about the food industry and some of the really major threats that it poses to the production the distribution, consumption of food supplies around the world. What are some of these threats? Well, a big part of the problem, Bill, is that in the last 60, 70 years, we moved away from uh, a system where farmed animals were part of mixed rotational farms, where they were integral to soil health, where they were integral to looking after biodiversity and a natural thriving ecosystem. Those animals have been taken off of the land and they've been put inside into factory farms uh, in cages and crates and confinement, uh, where hens uh, are kept in cages so small they can't stretch their wings, where, where uh, pigs, mother pigs, are kept in crates for weeks or months at a time, unable to turn around, and where cattle, instead of grazing grass, are kept in feedlots where they're fed grain. Uh, all of this plays a heavy toll, not just on animal welfare, creating immense suffering to those animals, but it also creates an unhealthy system which has to be propped up using uh, uh, antibiotics uh, and it undermines 
the soil that we all depend on. Do you see that there's more of a concern for this today? I, I, I haven't done a scientific study on it or read that many about it, but it seems that there are so many groups that are more concerned about the humane treatment of animals, such as a PETA or other groups like that, many of the United Nations agencies. But do you see that there's more concern and more legislation to try to rectify those problems? Well, concern is definitely growing. Compassion in World Farming was founded way back in the 1960s. It was founded by a dairy farmer who became concerned at the rise in this industrial form of agriculture, this factory farming. Uh, he saw it happening in America. He saw it come to uh, Britain and Europe, and he wanted to stop its proliferation. Now, there are many voices uh, that are weighing in, and not before time, I have to say because factory farming is one of the major problems at the center of the food system that needs to be addressed if we are to have a sustainable food system and what i mean by that frankly bill is that we need reform if we're going to leave a livable future as a legacy for our children that is absolutely correct we have to do this and there are many ways to do it what what would you recommend to national leaders, to provincial state leaders, the industry itself as to help improve this situation? Do we need laws, regulations? What do we need? We absolutely need uh, lawmakers to pitch in and move away from industrial animal agriculture, move towards regenerative food systems where animals are returned to the land as part of mixed rotational systems. We also need uh, legislation that rebalances diets because globally we're eating too much meat and dairy for our own health and for the planetary health. So we do need to, to have uh, uh, more balanced diets. We need to reduce meat and dairy consumption globally by about 50%, in the US by 80% if we're going to have uh, a, a, a balanced, planet-friendly diet. But there are things that are at hand that, that uh, lawmakers can get behind, such as new alternative technologies, uh, protein technologies, such as the production not only of plant-based meats, but also cultivated meat that are produced from stem cells grown in a bioreactor. Uh, meat without the slaughter, if you like, and without the, the downsides in greenhouse gases or the use of land. So I think Governments need to pitch in. They need to set a course to a regenerative food future that will not only treat animals better, but also uh, make sure that biodiversity is enhanced and that soil health is restored. And why is that important? Because if we carry on like we are at the moment, treating soils like dirt, then the UN has warned that we have just 60 harvests left, 60 years left before our soils are either useless or gone. At that point, it's game over. No soil, no food. It certainly is. And that's, we have a deadline on that, on the production of food. And also we're getting more and more updated information on the deadline on dealing with this climate crisis, with global warming, and the time is running out on both of these issues. You mentioned the topsoil depletion 
And what, how does, well, you were talking about this in, uh, a few moments ago, but how does toxic insecticides, how does this all play together to worsen the situation? Soil is, it's not just dirt. It's a thriving ecosystem. Under each soccer-pitched size patch of healthy soil, what you'll find is 13,000 species of life. You'll find up to 4 million worms and all sorts of creatures that are absolutely uh, vital. Uh, for the proper functioning of soil. Now, what does soil do? Well, it does three things for humanity. The first thing is it's where 95% of our food grows. Everyone knows that. The second thing it does is it stores carbon from the atmosphere. Soil globally holds twice as much carbon as is currently in the atmosphere. And the third thing it does is it holds water against gravity. It's pretty much the only thing which stops most of the world's rainwater just simply running back into rivers and back out to sea. So soil is really important. But when we use artificial fertilizers and artificial and, and chemicals, pesticides we disrupt and destroy that life that is vital to that proper functioning of the soil and so what happens is the carbon in the soil gets released back into the atmosphere and we don't want that it means that the soil can no longer retain nearly so much water and we don't want that because it becomes much more prone to drought uh, and to flooding and it also means that yields Food, yields of food crops start to wither uh, and go down. And we don't want that, particularly in a world with ever more mouths to feed. So governments and companies getting on board and setting new policy pathways to this regenerative uh, way of producing food is the way to restoring soil health and a sustainable future. And one way those governments have been brought together has been through the various United Nations environmental conferences. We saw just recently the COP27 that was held in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. That was a very important conference as far as bringing together the key players, so to speak, in dealing with these issues. What were some of the recommendations that came out of the COP27 conference that dealt perhaps with the emissions of methane or perhaps soil depletion or flooding. You mentioned that a moment ago, uh, the, the erratic weather patterns that have really become very prevalent. And a lot of that's traced right back to climate change. But what came out of uh, COP27 that would be of assistance to us? COP27, the top line was agreement on uh, uh, compensating uh, developing countries, for example, for uh, the the harm that is caused to uh, to, to them through uh, the impact of of climate change of, of uh, uh, dramatic weather events. Um, but I think the disappointing thing, Bill, is that we went into COP twenty seven with uh, government agreements that added up to reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions to the point where uh, we could expect to reach 2.5 degrees centigrade. Um, now, why is that significant? Because the safe level of temperature rise is 1.5. Catastrophic climate change gets triggered at two. So going into COP27, 
They've brought it down from more than three degrees the year before uh, when meeting in Glasgow. And in Sharm el-Sheikh went in uh, talking about 2.4. The expectation was that there would be new agreements to reduce that level still further, closer to the safe level of 1.5. That did not happen. That did not happen. One of the reasons why it did not happen was because the issue of food and farming uh, was not uh, central to the agenda. It's getting there. It's starting to be discussed in uh, fringe meetings and uh, in the sidelines, but it's not central, which is a huge mistake, given that more than a third of greenhouse gas emissions globally come from the food sector. They certainly do, and they're making a remarkable negative impact on the world as a whole. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or a community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a podcast, or just a computer, and you like our shows, please feel free to share them. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're talking about the food distribution and really consumption that we all need to sustain ourselves on this planet and some of the threats that are affecting this industry. My guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Philip Limbery is chief executive of a leading international farm animal welfare organization called Compassion in World Farming. His most recent book is titled 60 Harvest Left, How to Reach a Nature-Friendly Future. The, the topics that you brought up so far are so critical. They're just absolutely essential. They, the UN, we go back to this conference, it was just in Sharm el-Sheikh. The UN has provided a tremendous service on this issue and in some ways has led the way. Now, there have been a lot of other groups that have been concerned about climate change, global warming. It's not just the UN. But these, these conferences have got to come out with stronger recommendations and more binding recommendations, do they not? Because they're, they're hitting on all of the issues, they're saying the right things. But when it comes to the governments and the industries doing what they need to do, there's really a shortfall there. They're not coming through and we're running out of time. As you mentioned, perhaps 60 harvests left, no more food or we'll, we'll, our food supplies will be depleted. And the tipping point looks like it may be 2030 for climate change. So what can be done to tighten this up? Is there, the, the UN is not a one world government, but what can be done to make these recommendations more binding and really more salient. I think the work of the UN is absolutely vital and, and something that uh, I'm, I hugely admire. And uh, I was uh, privileged to be an ambassadorial champion for the UN Food Systems Summit last year in New York. Uh, what I do think is that the UN does need to continue its urgent mission to pull uh, governments from around the world together to carve out agreements 
agreements, global agreements amongst world leaders on what needs to be done on climate, on biodiversity, on food security. And amongst that, I think uh, we should recognise that there are there is already a global framework on climate change, a global agreement on climate change, one on biodiversity, one on food security, one on desertification. All of those global agreements are set to fail unless they address the elephant in the room, food and the way that we're producing it industrially. So that is why uh, I believe strongly that the UN can play a huge leadership role and should do by carving out a global agreement on food to move away from damaging industrial practices. I noticed on your website that you have listed several items that show how interrelated we are in this world today, how interlinked that the food chain is. The, uh, well, basically the whole world is interdependent in some way, shape or form, without a doubt. But let's talk about a few of those items and talk about how they tie right in to what you're talking about today. How does this Ukrainian war, this war launched by Russia to invade Ukraine, show us how interdependent we are, especially when it comes to the food supply, distribution, and consumption of not only in uh, foods in Ukraine, but also through in many areas of Africa and, and worldwide. The, the war in Ukraine, of course, is, is terrible. And we stand in solidarity uh, with the people of Ukraine and all people in, in areas of conflict. What they, that terrible war has uh, has shine uh, shone a light on is uh, that, that food security globally is a real uh, and ever-present topic and we're talking about uh, a major grain exporting uh, country ukraine uh, effectively having its its grain exports uh, shut down or hampered to a large degree it's a big exporter of wheat to some uh, some of the world's uh, countries that are most vulnerable if they don't get that wheat but i think what it also shows us is that the real cause of food insecurity of potential hunger in the world is the fact that we are feeding so much grain to factory farmed animals. Uh, forgive me, Bill, but just scrolling back just to explain that point. When sure. animals are kept in the countryside, when cattle are out on grass or chickens in, in, uh, in, in free range circumstances, they're essentially uh, able to turn things that we can't eat, grass, into things we can, meat, milk and eggs. As soon as we put them into factory farms, they're then reliant wholly on us growing their grain elsewhere, their feed uh, grain elsewhere on arable land that could be feeding people. Uh, and in that equation, we feed uh, uh, enough grain to factory farmed animals to feed half of humanity alive today. And most of the food value of that grain is wasted um, in conversion to meat, milk and eggs, both in in uh, terms of uh, calories and protein. But to put the war in Ukraine into perspective, uh, the, the 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 normal wheat exports 
that are being hampered because of the war from Ukraine. The EU and UK combined feed three times that amount of wheat to their factory farmed animals every year three times the amount so that is a big reason why uh, food supplies are tightening because we're feeding four billion people's worth of food globally to factory farmed animals that's got to stop the united nations reported recently that the world population has now tipped over eight billion people eight billion people which is a pretty large number of people we've never been there before that we know of i guess on this planet but we've never been there for sure but anyway how how many people do you think this planet can sustain is there a cutoff i know we have to change our farming practices we have to change the way we raise cattle pigs whatever but is there some number some magic number or do we need to think about reducing the population well the answer to the question bill is it depends how you feed everyone if you feed increasing numbers of people using factory farming which is the course that we're on at the moment and people eating more and more meat uh, and and dairy from factory farms then by 2040 we will have a future where there is a billion more people so nine billion people and a third less soil in which to grow that food now that's not a very uh, a, a very uh, welcoming prospect particularly when at the same time by 2040 we will have triggered catastrophic climate change and nature humanity's life support system could be all but gone so we've got 18 years to turn it around and so it's not so much how many people in the world but for how long are we going to let this destructive way of feeding people continue and that is why i'm calling for a un global agreement on food to move away from factory farming to move to this regenerative way of producing food where farmed animals are re restored to the land in ways which uh, create a better environment and healthier food for everyone that is certainly the way we need to be moving one very disjointing statistic or it's not really a statistic but a, a statement was the united or the world bank recently said that if we stay on our current trajectory that there will be a lack of grain and fertilizer that could cause mass hunger and famine how how does that play into all of this what what will cause that well by continuing to pour four billion people's worth of grain into factory farmed animals who then waste the majority of it uh, that that means that um, there's much less available for people if you add in food waste that we put into the bin the, uh, you add those two components together the factory farmed animal feed and the waste that goes into uh, our bins more than half the world's food is wasted Bill, at the moment, we produce enough food to feed 17 billion people, if you're looking for a statistic. Now, I'm not saying that 17 billion people is a good idea on the planet. That would be wholly unsustainable. But what it says to you 
is that the problem is the way that we're trying to feed people with factory farming uh, and a wasteful food system. So that is the way that we need to move away from it. And what will make things even worse is using artificial fertilizers and pesticides on an ongoing basis will continue to kill the soil, will continue to mean that soil will become uh, degraded and disappear, meaning that our prospects for producing food in the future and i have i i predict a cutoff point of by 2040 if we haven't changed by 2040 then the world looks a very unkind place for uh, our children mm -hmm. and if we look at that outer date of 2030 for climate change 2040 for our food supply and consumption system we have challenges in front of us and we need to move on them as quickly as possible. Well, in our last minute or so, let me ask you, what would you recommend that our viewers should think about as far as being involved in this particular issue, as far as mobilizing support, as far as informing the media, the politicians, educational institutions, whatever, to the severity of these problems and to get involved in dealing with them? I would say get involved with the movement, the, the movement for a food revolution, a kind food revolution. Uh, sign up to CIWF.org and we will send you ways to get involved, ways to bring these issues to the attention of national and global leaders, as well as corporations and the finance sector. And what I would also say is that as individuals we all have the the power of choice on our plate we can choose three times a day to eat more plants less and better meat and dairy making sure that any that we do have comes from non-factory farmed sources so here we're talking about pasture fed free range organic regenerative that in a nutshell is my recipe for getting as many of us involved to save the planet save the future for our children well mr philip limbery we all consume food everywhere from the, the production to the distribution to the consumption of food nobody can avoid it we all have a stake in this particular issue and we need to be involved but i want to thank you for a very interesting and a very informative program thank you bill a real pleasure thank you so much my pleasure I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.